You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. The book of Ephesians, and then we'll, we'll go over to 1 John chapter 2 as well here in a few minutes. But Ephesians chapter 6, 1 John chapter 2... And uh, this is a very familiar verse, especially for this crowd tonight. And um, we'll, read, we'll read these verses, or at least Ephesians 6, 4. Let's stand together and read this, and then we'll get into the preaching tonight. Um, it's, it's hot, by the way. Didn't know if you knew that or not. Um, but in this weather, this, this, our air conditioners are working overtime um, but I, I, all day I have been thinking how grateful I am for air conditioning. I mean, I know that seems like a small thing, but I mean, I'm telling you, there's a lot of churches and a lot of places around the world, even right now meeting, and they don't have air conditioning. They, they probably don't even have windows in a lot of churches in many places around the world. And so we have a beautiful building and air conditioning that works, and we should be thankful for those things. And so I know it may be uncomfortable at at times, but it could be a lot worse. I'll just say it that way. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to be preaching again on the idea of fathers. And this is a thought that I had a few years ago, uh, but I didn't use this text, and uh, it'll, it'll, it'll be different um, but maybe you'll recognize the illustration here in just a moment. Hopefully, did you guys get that this afternoon? I sent an email. No? Okay. Well, maybe we could have something ready. Um, should have checked on that this afternoon. Um, but Ephesians 6, 4 uh, is where we're going to be. And it says in verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let's read that together out loud. Ephesians 6, 4, ready, begin. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And it's a very important verse, very short verse, but one that gives us an important principle that I'd like to focus on tonight. And, uh, and maybe you remember, I'm not pretending like you do from a few years ago, but I'm just calling it the dad triangle. The dad triangle and how there's balance in life in the way that dads deal with their children. And we can do, we, if we just have two-thirds of, of the triangle in place, it's not a triangle. And it's out of balance. And we'll talk about that tonight. And let's ask God to help us as we do. Father, we love you and we need you and we cannot do this without you. And I, I certainly cannot. And I pray that you'd give me uh, strength and help me in my mind to be clear I'm grateful for a patient church and one that um, full of people that love you and love your word. And I, I thank you for uh, just their, their appetite for God's word. I pray that tonight you'd help us all to be hungry, to learn more and to grow. And I pray that you'd use this message to make a difference in our lives this evening. We love you and we pray that you bless the reading of your word in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Um, I read some statistics this morning in the message, and I, I'm just going to give you those again. They were on, it was a Fox News article that I saw this week, and it said 18.5 million children grow up without fathers, which would, would make the United States the world leader in fatherlessness. And I'm not sure exactly how that statistic works. Maybe it's a percentage on a percentage basis, um, but that's, that's far too high of a number either way. 18.5 million children. Uh, fatherhood impacts a child in every category, in, in economic prosperity, in academic performance, in social development. It, it affects all races. It affects all ethnic groups, all backgrounds. Um, 85% of children and teenagers with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes, according to the recent statistics. And over 75, or sorry, 70% of all adolescent patients in drug and alcohol treatment centers um, come from homes without fathers. Children without fathers uh, in the home are five times more likely to live in poverty than a child from a two-parent home. And children without fathers at home are nine times more likely to drop out of school. And they represent 90% of all homeless and runaway children. And the effect of a father on a home is indisputable. As I said this morning, it's not just essential, it's critical. 
And modern culture would have you believe that a father is not necessary at all. That it's, he's absolutely dispensable and, and you don't need him. And the, the biblical family unit is not important. And yet we know based on statistics uh, that that is absolutely not the case. Uh, and so and, and it's not, though, just enough to be present. And so when I talk about fatherlessness or a fatherless home, it's not just enough that, that you're there. Plenty of dads think, um, I'm not absent. At least I'm here, so I'm good. Um, but is it really good enough just to be physically present? Because I know, I've known dads, and you probably have too, and there are plenty out there um, you know, where they call sitting at the table uh, being present, but they're on their phone the whole time. And dads, we've got to be mindful of that, um, that, our that plenty of children are growing up in fatherless homes, but, but just because we're physically present, does that mean that we're, we're actually emotionally present? And you, you don't have to show that now. That's, yeah, we'll, we'll show that here in just a little bit. Um, I should have communicated. That's, that's my fault for, for not letting them know that. Um, you can be absent physically, and, or you can be absent emotionally. Or you can be absent spiritually. And all of those are mean that a father is absent. You can uh, be absent in more than just a way physically. Paul wrote to dads in Ephesians 6, 4, and he didn't just say, be present. He actually gives instructions on how to be an effective father. And the key is balance. The key is balance. And, it's, and he focuses on two very important pieces of the dad puzzle um, and the dad triangle, and those two are, you already saw it, correction and training. And so we see here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up. And that phrase, bring them up, means to bring up to maturity. It means to nourish. It means to feed to its, to its outcome, until its mature outcome. And almost like if you're raising a, a cow and, and you're going to, to feed it until it's ready to be slaughtered and ready for meat. And I know that's a strange analogy, but that's the idea that, that you, don't, you don't take that cow's life early. You wait till it's completely mature before you, before you do that. I know that sounds a little bit strange, but that's the best idea that I could think of to, to illustrate what this means. And the point that Paul is making when he says bring them up, bring them to their full maturity, is this. Raise them till they're ready. Raise them till they're ready. Well, you say, we're ready for what? Ready to be a mature follower of Christ. That's the, that's the exhortation here. So parents, dads, parents, the responsibility of raising our children falls on our shoulders. I read, uh, as, as I was doing some research for this and reading about this, I, I saw that when, when uh, prayer was kicked out of schools, um, there, I think it was in the late 60s, Prayer was kicked out of schools and there was a comic strip or, or a cartoon and, and in the paper. And the paper was a picture of a dad and he had the announcement of, you know, prayer being removed from schools. And he was real, real adamantly and angrily saying, what are we supposed to listen to them pray at home now? And I thought, boy, if that isn't the attitude of, of many homes in that you know, we, we assume, or maybe not you, but many homes do assume that the, that the responsibility of moral education and, and growing up our children till they're ready for maturity is somebody else's responsibility. And it's somebody else's job. And, and, and yet we are given, as parents, we are given the command, the exhortation right here, it's your responsibility to bring them up till they're ready. Raise them till they're ready. You're supposed to prepare them. And, and yet many, and I, I would say that probably there are many Christians even that have this mindset that, that say, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I can, but it's the youth group's responsibility to finish them out. And we've got to be careful of that mindset uh, to assume that because nowhere in the Bible does it say that. You know, and, and Brother Samuel and I have at times had conversations. And I've been a youth pastor for a long time. You have these conversations about whether or not a kid's ready to go to camp sometimes. And, and yet most of the time um, when there's a child that you're just not sure about, 
you know, the, the attitude very, very often of a parent, it says something like, well, you know, we've done what we can and he's going to have to learn somehow. So I'm going to send him to camp so he can learn with you. Well, my, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, what, what about bringing up your own children and preparing your own children? Now, I know there are things that they learn with their peers, but that's not the responsibility of a youth group. It's not the responsibility of a school. It's not the responsibility of, of anybody else. It is your responsibility to raise them till they're ready. It's our responsibility as parents. So how does Paul then say that we should raise them till they're ready, till, to be ready? Well, he says then the first the first side of the triangle, then we would say, is correction. He says, bring them up in the nurture. And the idea of nurture is learning through discipline. So this is chastisement. This is the correction of a child. And the word is translated, the same word is translated chastening in Hebrews chapter 12. And it means the correcting of mistakes and the, the curbing of passions. And I think that's, in, that, well, I'm not going to get into that yet. We'll get to it later. Warren Wiersbe wrote that if left to themselves, children will be rebels. So it is necessary for the parents to train their children. And you say, well, not my child. My child is naturally good. Well, I don't know. I've not met one of those. Maybe I need to sit down and visit with your child. Because the Bible says there is a way which seemeth right unto a man and a child fits under that category. Unto a man is all human beings as sinners. We have a sin nature and even children um, naturally would go their own way. And so we must correct then their natural course. And that's why it's silly when parents say, um, well, I just want my kids to express themselves. Uh, it, they're sinners. You know, you can't encourage uh, a sinner who opposes himself, as the Bible says, you can't encourage somebody with that kind of mindset um, to do what feels natural to them because what feels natural to them is, is opposed to what God wants for their lives. And so we have to be careful to just nourish and, and feed what's natural to our children. We use correction to keep them from destruction. And there are plenty of people that say, well, correction is cruel. And there's, you know, the forms of correction um, that, that you talk about in, you know, in maybe in spanking. By the way, I was in the airport yesterday and it was really interesting because I was sitting there um, waiting for the airplane. And there was a lady there with a couple of her children and, and she was giving them the right act, not in an angry way. But she was saying, now, listen, you are making bad choices. They were probably like four or five years old. Okay. She said, listen, you are making bad choices right now. And if you do not change your choices, then you will get a spanking. I will take you right into the bathroom here in the airport and I will take care of this. You know, and a lot of the woke people around me were probably, oh my goodness. She's going to warp those children. Yet I can't tell you how many conversations, one-way conversations I had with my parents when I was about that age. And they were saying about the same thing. You know, it did not kill me. It, it didn't warp my personality. It actually prevented me from going down a path that I would have gone if nobody had corrected me. That's correction. It, and, and it warps the character. But no, it's correction. The Bible says that correction or chastening is a mark of love. Hebrews chapter 12 says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Chasteneth is the same word as, as this word here. Uh, it means to correct or reprove or instruct, to scourge. It means to punish. I mean, when my kids were, were small, Olivia and Audrey both um, were, were probably two years old, three years old, real small. And we were at um, this uh, a fast food restaurant in Oklahoma called Brahms. Um, which, by the way, if you, want to, if you want some really good fast food, go to Brahms, okay? Oklahoma. Um, it's kind of our version of Culver's, but better. Um, so, um, <laughs> did I let that come out? So, no. Um, we were at Brahms. We were talking to some people after church, and we had eaten with them. And, and we looked out. Uh, the, this Brahms had the automatic sliding doors. And so... You know, that's, that's convenient if you're carrying things out in and out, but it's not convenient if you're a little three-year-old and your little body is big enough to trigger that door to open. So, because our kids, our two girls, and, and there was another little boy about their same age, they had opened the doors and ran out, and the street in front of Brahms in Stillwater is the busiest street in the whole city. 
And I looked out, and from here to the, about to the glass doors back there, that's the curb, car zooming by, and all three kids were standing on the curb about like this. And so in that moment, I, I remember thinking, well, I don't want to warp their personalities. <laughs> so I'm going to talk to them logically right now. No, I didn't. I said, hey, kids, stop. Because in that moment, if they take one more step off the curb and a car comes by, I mean, this, that, this would be a whole different story. And, and that's the way we need to think about our children. And you think, again, you may think, you may assume the best in your child, but the Bible says they were born a sinner just like you and I and everybody else. And if we don't correct them, then, then we are neglecting our duty of love, the Bible says. Because it's whom the Lord loveth that he chasteneth. And, and if we want to, to help them avoid destruction, then we need to major on correction. We, we, and, 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 I, and, I'm not, and you'll see, I'm not being imbalanced tonight. Correction it must play a part in your home as you raise your children. And, and dads, correction should take place primarily, um, if not directly by dad, then very clearly under dad's authority. And you cannot just allow your wife, uh, their mom, to just do all the correction. And I know you're tired. I know it's easy to come home and just sit. And yet it is not mom's responsibility. It is primarily dad's responsibility. According to Ephesians 6, 4, it says, fathers, bring them up in the nurture. You need, you need to correct. You need to make sure that you're taking these steps. Because when our children are, maybe if they disobey or they're forgetful, or they show patterns of rebellion, or they've got faulty mindsets, and it's clear, then it's our responsibility as the head of our homes to take measures to, to help adjust them toward righteousness so they can avoid destruction. It's our jobs, dads. And it's not a matter of anger. I'm, very clearly, it's not about, he says, provoke not your children to wrath. It's not about angry correction. It's, it is to prove our love. And if you think about it, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, that will start to impact how we correct our children. Because we're not correcting them out of anger. We're not correcting them uh, to, to put our foot down. We're correcting them to prove our love because we're trying to keep them from destruction. God proves his love by punishing sin. And, and if he refused to correct us, we wouldn't know we had sin and we, and we couldn't maintain fellowship with him. God's light shines on our sin as an act of mercy when we step into sin because he wants fellowship. He wants to bring us back. And, and dads, we've got to follow that lead. We have a responsibility to correct our children when we see their sin. A loving father corrects children. Don't let the culture scare you out of correction. It is your right and it is your responsibility and it is what's best for that child. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. And you say, well, beatest, see there the Bible says, beatest. No, this is not about anger. We're going to take the Bible, it was what it says from beginning to the end. Never once does it condone abuse, not once. Provoke not your children to wrath. Don't do it out of anger. If you're doing it out of love, you're not beating to hurt, you're beating to correct. Lovingly. So he says, correct. That's one side of the triangle, correction. But the other side of the triangle is training. Training. And if nurture, the word nurture is correction, then admonition is training. And, and this one is, is, more, is kind of deeper here. Uh, there's a lot more direction to go. But another word is instruction. Or another word would be counsel. And that, so the definition of admonition then is setting the mind through God-inspired warnings. And I like that. That sounds, that sounds real formal, doesn't it? You know, and rather than, yeah, son, we're going to go meet with Jesus here for a minute. No, formally, you would say setting the mind through biblical God-inspired warnings. That's, that's the idea. It's the Greek word uh, nuthasia, which is where we get the term. Maybe you've heard the term nuthetic counseling. And nuthetic counseling is what another term for biblical counseling. Assuming that the Bible has the answer for every problem that we face. And uh, admonition is training, it's instruction, it's counsel. It's the setting of the mind through God-inspired warnings. It's, it's warning through teaching. 
It's, it's, it improves a person's reasoning by helping them to think biblically um, uh, through the, this right thought process. And training really should take place before correction, by the way. See, a lot of parents simply parent out of correction and they simply parent um, in response to the things that their children are doing and, and in response to their children's actions. But according to the, according to the Bible, the training, train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. And if more dads would take the time to train, there'd be less need for correction. I mean, but training is tough, and training means you've got to take time. Training means that you've got to teach your children how to behave in different life situations. You've got to sit down with them and practice scenarios. Uh, I was, this morning, Brother Heath um, was giving, is he, I don't see him in here. Brother Heath was in, was, he gave a devotion in his prayer meeting this morning and he was talking about how he's got a neighbor that's a professional bass fisherman. And, and he one night was, I guess, I'm, he's not here so I can say this, he was creeping around his neighbor's house <laughs> in a very creepy way, looking in the windows, the lights were on. He can't defend himself, so, you know, I can just go this way. So, no, he said he walked up to his neighbor's house and the garage door was open and the light was on and Brother Heath said he looked inside and his neighbor, who's a professional fisherman, was sitting in his boat. And he just sitting in his boat inside the garage. And he had his rod and reel and he, was, and he had buckets placed around the, the garage. And he was practicing uh, casting his fishing pole into the different buckets. And he was casting it into this one, reel it in, cast it into this one. He would go to this one, cast it here, cast it here. And he was working on his aim. You know, I mean, those of us who aren't real fishermen, then we don't, real, don't realize you do that. To me, like I said last time, not long ago, I just tried to throw it out there as far as I can. It didn't matter. I just want to win, you know. Well, apparently there's an art to it. and You're trying to get it right where it needs to go. And, and he was practicing that. And you think, well, that's kind of overkill. Well, when, when, when you have a priority like fishing, you're going to take some serious steps to get as good as you can um, and practice before you get out into the tournament. And so you might as well practice. He's sitting in his boat in the garage. I think it's a wonderful example of training. And, and we ought to think about, now listen, when our children get out into real life scenarios that are much more important than a bass tournament, that we, will, we should have practiced with them how they're going to stand and how, what they're going to say and how they're going to react when certain situations arise in their lives. And we used to do that with our children. And, and listen, it's possible. Did you know, hey, I'm just telling you, and I'm not trying to clear off a spot. I just want you to know, it is possible for your three-year-old to sit through church the whole time. And I think we kind of get in the habit of, well, they've got to move and they, you know, that's too long. Um, there are a lot, of, a lot of families have trained their children to sit during church the whole time. As three-year-olds, we did it. We, but we didn't start when they were three. We started when they were two and a half because we knew I'm going to be on the platform. My wife will be in the choir. We've got other things going. We've got to train our children to sit. And you know what? We had to train them to do it without playing with toys too. It, you, you say, that's just not possible. I'm telling you, it's possible. And moms and dads, I mean, maybe we need to raise the bar on what we think that our children can do. It is possible to train them from a young age to sit in church and practice that. Without having to get up and go to the bathroom every service or this or that. I mean, I know there are times, I'm not being imbalanced. There are times where there's an emergency and maybe they didn't go. I mean, that was one of the things we did train our children. Listen, you always go to the bathroom before church starts. You take care of that before church starts because we're meeting with God. And that's important enough that we're not just going to, every time there's a service, you know, run out. Because really, I mean, sometimes I think it's because they're just bored. No, it's a training issue, parents. So let's, let's be mindful that we need to raise the bar in our expectation for our children. And we used to sit there when they were two and a half years old. We'd start and we'd put preaching on and they would sit there. And for, a, you know, the first few times they did it, then, you know, it was probably three or four minutes max. But we would train them and we'd raise the time and raise the time and raise the time. And, and, uh, and until they were ready and then we would figure out ways to help them to sit there without having to keep them occupied. I mean, it's possible. I'm telling you. It is possible. And if anybody was ever come and ask, I mean, I'd, I'd be happy to help you give you some advice about it. Because we did it with our children and you can do it with yours. 
But you've got you've to decide that, you, that they can do it. You've got to decide it's possible. You've got to put them in scenarios where, where they have to kind of be forced to do that. I mean, you do that at home, don't you? I mean, you've got outlets at your house. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not necessarily a child-proofing kind of a dad. Because I believe that you ought to be able to train your children not to touch the outlet. And if you don't, I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll do it once. They'll figure it out. You know, you train your children not to touch the outlet. You train your children uh, not, to, not to go up the stairs. And you train your kids not to touch the stove. And you train them to not pull things down off the... I mean, I know, it's, it, is, it, it gets old, doesn't it? I mean, all the training and all the scenarios. But, that, but we, we were given children by God. It is our responsibility to raise them till they're ready. It is our responsibility to train. And, and we've done that with our kids. And you can do it with yours, I'm telling you. Training is so critical and yet it's so neglected because we usually end up in correction mode more than we should because we don't spend enough time in training mode. And we're better at correction because it doesn't require thinking beforehand. I mean, think about it. Correction simply requires a a response. And very often we end up simply responding. And I, I know, especially if you've got littles, you've got little ones at home and, and you're, it's like you're training this one, you're correcting this one, you're training this one, correcting this one. And you get to the place where you, know, you can't even keep up with all the training. I, I remember, I, I know that's how it feels, uh, but we've got to do better at training before we get to the correction. It can be dangerous if all we ever do is respond to their disobedience. We can become reactionary. And in being reactionary, you're far, listen, you're far less likely to use, lose your cool in training than you are to lose your cool when you're responding in correction. And, and yet so many homes skip this part. I, I remember reading Abraham Lincoln said one time, give me six hours to chop down a tree, I'll spend the first four sharpening the axe. And what he was saying is that I'll spend four out of the six hours in preparation so that the cutting down of the tree will go faster. And I think if parents would spend four hours sharpening the act, I mean figuratively, okay, in child training. In other words, if you would spend more time in, in training beforehand, the correction would be a lot quicker. And time spent sharpening is time saved cutting. I've heard that before as well. And, and so take the time. You don't, you, you'll never regret training when it saves you time in correction. And as important as training is, that's really not my primary application. And I believe most dads in here, we, we, you want to be an active father. You want to uh, provide godly leadership for your family. And there are no dads that are perfect in their training, myself included. There are no dads that are perfect in their correction methods, myself included. But I believe that most dads, especially here tonight, are, are making, you're making uh, efforts. Training and correction, they're essential if you want to effectively raise your kids till they're ready. But I believe they only represent two-thirds of what I call the dad triangle. And you guys can show that, that, that graphic up there, the dad triangle. And I, you know, I preached this as an illustration, I think it was three years ago on Father's Day. And I was preaching at that time out of 1 John 2. And, and since I haven't revisited this concept again, I thought it would be a good time to, to break it out here tonight. But correction and training are necessary to the process. You see the dad triangle, you've got correction on the side, you've got training. I put that on the bottom because training to me is the foundation of, of your child rearing. It's where it all, all begins. And, and, uh, but there's another element I believe that dads often miss. And in order to see it though, I'd like to go to 1 John. So keep your place here in Ephesians chapter 6 and we'll go to 1 John or we'll read the words of John here. In 1 John chapter 2 is where we'll be. John calls his readers my little children. So I think then that we can say that John is playing the part of, of dad. He's, he's playing the dad role in 1 John. He, he says, my little children. And, and to this point in the book, he's been, he's been very straightforward with them. He's, been very, he's gotten right to the point. We, we went through a series in 1 John um, when I first came. And, and so he's given them these kind of lessons. He tells, them the, he tells them the truth. He comes right out and says what needs to be said. That's what every father should do. Uh, as I'm thinking about these lessons, he gives it to them straight, which dads, we need to learn how to do. You can tell your children straight with love and grace. He emphasizes inward relationships, which is what we should do as dads. He tells them the model love, which our children need to learn to be selfless in a very selfless culture. 
Uh, he, he lets them know that the importance of having strength because you're going to have to stand against things that are hard. He, he doesn't let their sins slide and we shouldn't let their sins slide. Uh, he helps them plan for the future. We should too. And these are all lessons. He warns them of the dangers of the world. He tells them how to behave like a member of God's family. And he goes through all of these lessons. And you might say it's a very correction heavy book or it's a very training heavy book. And he's doing what a good dad does. He's correcting mistakes. He's training them to think the God's thought processes. And he gives them biblical warnings and scenarios so they know how to respond. But I want you to notice, though, in the middle of saying some very hard things to his spiritual children, John suddenly stops. And for three verses, he just takes time to say some, some words that I think are very helpful. Look at verse 12 of chapter 2. So, again, it's been very hard. It's been very direct, it's been very confrontational, but in verse 12 of chapter 2, he says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So he says, I just want to remind you that you're part of the family. And your place in this family is secure, and no matter what you've done, you'll always be part of the family. Your sins have been forgiven. So in the middle of all the correction, he stops and he says, now I just want to remind you about something very important. You're part of the family, your place is secure. Verse 13, he says, I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children because you have known the father. And he, he's basically saying every member of this family has an important role. And some bring knowledge, some bring strength, some bring zeal, some bring experience, some bring examples. But all, everybody brings something important to the table. Verse 14 I've written unto you fathers because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I've written unto you young men because ye are strong and the word of God abideth in you and ye have overcome the wicked one. He says, I praise you right now uh, for the good things that you've done. I value your victories. I cherish your strengths. I'm not focusing on shortcomings right now. You're part of the family and I just want to remind you, you're important to our family. I value you and I praise you as part of the family. So in the middle of all the correction and in the middle of all the training, John just stops and clears off a spot to praise the children, to encourage the children. And dads, we can be good at conveying truth and we can be good at teaching lessons. We're consistent with a strong hand. We train, we lead, we provide, we correct, we direct. But the third part of this dad triangle that we can learn from John is this, and you can show it up there, it's encouragement. See, while we're training and while we're instructing and while we're giving direction and while we're giving biblical warning and while we're correcting them and we're chastising and maybe even scourging and we're, we're disciplining them in the middle of all of it, uh, it's not a balanced role of a dad if all you ever do is train and all you ever do is correct and you never take the time to find time to encourage our children along the way. And it's likely that more dads have a plan for training and more dads have a plan for correction than they do for encouragement. It likely comes more naturally and yet this is a very big part of what Paul says and it's a part of what John says in Ephesians 6. Paul said, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. And so listen, catch the connection here, ready? Ephesians 6, 4, Paul says, provoke not your children to wrath. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, Paul said, fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So the result of provoking your children to wrath is discouragement. Therefore, the opposite of provoking your children to wrath would be encouragement. So if provoking your children to wrath results in discouragement, then the opposite of doing that would be encouragement. And fathers can naturally tend to deal with their children in such a way that it, it elicits wrath in our, young, in our youngsters. And, and, and yes, we should nurture, and yes, we should admonish, and we should correct and train. But according to Ephesians 6, 4, if all we ever do is correct and train, then we haven't had the balance in our child rearing. And when we lack balance, things tend to fall apart because we can do it in such a way that it creates wrath and anger and it leaves our children discouraged. And I, just to illustrate this uh, tonight, um, let's see, I'm going to get a couple of you guys. I'm going to get Evan and Cameron 
and Ben, if you guys can come up here. It's funny how they, they drop eye contact as soon as you start looking for volunteers. I'm going to start with, uh, with Evan and, and uh, Cameron. Ben, you can step to the side here for just a moment. So Evan and, and Cameron, I just want you to look, kind of stand side by side, and I want you to hold hands for a minute. Okay? Okay, so I want you to put your feet real close together. And then I want you to lean with arms extended. I want you to lean away from each other without, without, without moving your feet. So I just want you to lean and try to keep each other balanced while you do it. Try to do it. Keep going. Do not hurt your fingers, um, Evan, please. You've got to play invitation. So try no, you, at, least try to, at least try it. At least try to lean away. Yeah, you've got to lean with your legs. Go ahead and lean. No, just trust each other. It's a trust fall kind of a thing. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> These are some good, is somebody taking pictures? Okay, is it difficult? It's difficult to do. Okay, so I would say then that what these guys are doing is, um, Brother McCreary, which one requires more correction? Which one requires more training? <laughs> What's that? Okay, all right, so we're gonna say, hmm. Okay, we're going to say your correction, and we're going to say your training. Okay, so let's try it again. Let's try to just balance it and try to feet together, feet real close together, holding hands, and try to lean. No, just trust each other. Trust each other. Don't lift your feet. Okay, yeah, it's, it's not going to work, okay? It's not going to work. Okay, Ben, I want you to come and join this happy circle uh, right here in front. Yeah, you can have your back to the audience this one time, okay? So let's kind of come right more over here in this area. So then now I want all three of you to hold hands in a circle, okay, and, and kind of bring your feet a little bit closer together, and then I want you all now lean back and use each other as, as balance, okay? You can do it, you can do it, and just stay there. Okay, so listen, so when there's just training and correction, it's not balanced. It's really hard to make those two work together, but when you bring encouragement, because Ben is such an encouraging guy... When you bring encouragement into the mix, it balances training and correction too. And so, so now, man, that is, that's really pretty impressive, isn't it? I think they deserve a hand for making this work. Yeah, that's good. You guys can go. You see a third person, a, a third element coming in balances it out in a much better way. It's kind of like the idea of a threefold cord. It's not easily broken. When you just have those two, correction and training, trying to work together, you almost can't make it happen. But when you bring encouragement into it, it brings balance to the whole process. And, and I just want to encourage this tonight, dads, that while we're training and while we're correcting, to not forget that along the way our children can lose hope. Our children can become discouraged and it is very possible for a dad, according to Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3, for, to provoke our children to wrath and to, and to do it in such a way that they're discouraged by the end of it. And we need to make sure that we come in with an opposite um, balancing perspective and that even though we're correcting and even though we're training, we're also encouraging. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, when you are disciplining a child, you, shouldn't have, you should have first controlled yourself. What right have you to say to your child that he needs discipline when you obviously need it yourself? And if we come in with anger and we're not balancing correction and training with encouragement that we're, we're creating imbalanced children and we're showing them, yes, we want you to be disciplined, but we're not disciplined ourselves. Warren Wearsby said, we must be sure that, and this is a long one, so lock in here, we must be sure that we discipline our children in the right manner. To begin with, we must discipline in love and not in anger. Lest we injure either the body, which is possible. It's not just about the spirit. Parents, it's also about the safety of our children while disciplining and correcting. It's we, lest we injure the body or the spirit of the child, or possibly both. And if we are not disciplined, we surely cannot discipline others. And flying off the handle never made either a better child or a better parent. Also, our discipline must be fair and consistent. A teenager once told me, Warren Wiersbe said, my father would use a cannon to kill a mosquito. 
I either get away with murder or get blamed for everything, this teenager said. Consistent loving discipline gives assurance to the child. And he may not agree with us, but at least he knows that we care enough to build some protective walls around him until he can take care of himself. I never knew, one teenager said, a wayward girl told him, I never knew how far I could go because my parents never cared enough to discipline me. And I figured that if it wasn't important to them, why should it be important to me? Both angry correction and lack of training are discouraging because one says you're not capable of getting this and the other says you don't matter enough for us to take the time for it. The balance to correction and training, according to John's example and Paul's exhortation, is encouragement. Yes, we should be strong. Yes, we we should be firm. They need training. They need correction. But if we love our children, we will balance the triangle of correction and training with encouragement. So, So dads, when there's a small victory in an area of obedience, celebrate it. It's okay. When something is done right, make a big deal of it. When a mistake is made, fix it and move on. Don't hold it over their head. Give them hope for the next time. When intentions are good, even if the results aren't good, don't make it a matter of rebellion. Praise them for the effort because not every issue is a matter of rebellion. But sometimes we react like it's a matter of rebellion and it's really just a matter of, of, of a lack of discipline or oversight. Sometimes it's just neglect. Sometimes it's just immaturity. Encourage their attitude even if the outcome isn't what you wanted. When obedience is accomplished, uh, reward them unexpectedly. That's okay too. When we must correct, sprinkle it with hope. When we need to take the time to train, do it with a smile. Let them know that their joy is dependent on their obedience. And as a dad, there there will be plenty of opportunities to train. And there will be even more obvious opportunities to correct. But the opportunities to praise seem to be in the part of the triangle that gets missed the most. So remember a proverb like Proverbs 25.1. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. And Proverbs 16.24. Pleasant words are in honeycomb and they're sweet to the soul and health to the bones. We remind each other of it in, church, in a church setting and out, or out and about. We say, use your words kindly, use your words kindly, be kind. But I'm wondering if sometimes the place with the least amount of praise is our home. If sometimes the place with the least amount of Christian language or seasoned with salt kind of speech is our, is our bedrooms, in our homes, in our living rooms, in the car when we're frustrated when they've late made us late again. I mean, these are all things that we deal with. Every family deals with it. Every parent deals with it. But I'm telling you, when you stop and think about the times that we've overcorrected. And overcorrecting and driving can bring about serious tragedy. And it can do the same things, Dad, when we overcorrect our children. I remember a time when my children were young and, and I left them. I was working and Aaron was out of town on a ladies thing and, and I was at the church and I left them in the nursery and, and I don't remember exactly what they did. I don't even remember what kind of bright idea they had, but it involved water and the sink and water all over the nursery and, uh, and it was frustrating. That's the word, Bible, biblical word, soft word for anger, by the way. <laughs> and I remember walking into the nursery and and seeing this huge mess they made. I mean, Olivia couldn't have been more than probably maybe four or five years old. And, and Audrey was probably three. And Caitlin was, it doesn't matter how old Caitlin was. She was always just trouble. So, <laughs> so I walked in, though, to the nursery and, and saw it. And honestly, it was the kind of things kids do. Kind of thing kids do. It wasn't really that big of a deal. They got into the water, got, kind of splashing around, making a mess. And I remember just flying off the handle. And, and I, I just, I lost my cool and it wasn't good. It wasn't a good testimony. And I remember that's the first time that I remember at least then, then in my response to my children and something that they had done looking in their face and thinking, I just broke their spirit. And it was very clear that my words had not just been rebuke or correction. My words had been hurtful. 
And, and listen, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be at times hard. There will be times where our children need that. They'll need that kind of correction. They'll need that kind of training. But I would say that most of the time that we lose our cool, it's not over a reason that deserves it. And I just remember that look on their face and thinking, well, I need to be really careful because if I can fly off the handle and overcorrect that easily and damage their spirit, then, then honestly, if I lose their spirit, I lose their heart, that's, a, that's a bit the biggest loss of all. Fathers, let me exhort you tonight to use the principles of encouragement and praise at home. Stop in the middle of all the training, stop in the middle of the correction and remind them of their position in the family, just like John did. And tell them that they're loved no matter their mistakes. And let them know that there's hope for the future and remind them that they're important to you and use words of praise to leave them hopeful instead of discouraged. It's amazing what a few words at the right time can do for a child in the middle of all the correction and training stop and take some time to encourage and praise because we just saw illustrated here tonight if all we do is correct and all we do is train there's not very good balance it's not easy to make that work but if you bring encouragement into the dad triangle then it completes the triangle by sprinkling it all with words of encouragement and in the end we help our children do what they're supposed to do with a spirit that remains intact so don't be a passive dad I'm not saying only use words. I mean, you get that, right? I mean, I'm not saying only use words of praise and encouragement because that would create imbalance too. Use words of encouragement as long as the rest of the triangle is complete. And take the lead, though, in your child's training. Take the lead in your child's correction process because sometimes we can become, the, we're like spectators, because mom maybe trains them all day long and corrects them all day long. And we come home and they're in the, already in the mode. So we're like, okay, we'll just let her take care of it. Well, no, you are the representative of God as the head of the family. Don't be a passive dad. But two, utilize your encouragement as a balance to the correction and training. So I'm asking you tonight, dad, are you balanced? Are you balanced? Are you all about training? with not very much correction or encouragement? Or are you all about correction with not very much training or encouragement? Or are you all about encouragement with not much training or correction? Oh, no, we, we need to be careful that we're not leaning to one side of the triangle or the other. We must, must maintain balance. Then three, use encouragement to impact how you correct and train. See, you can still correct and train. The idea is that you still take the responsibility to correct, you still take the responsibility to train, but you use encouragement as you can while you're doing the training and while you're doing the correcting, correcting because you can crush a child's spirit and lead them, the Bible says, to wrath or anger and discouragement if you leave love out of your disciplinary interactions. So in the middle of correction and training, just stop and say, my little child, just like, just like John did. My little child, I value you. You're part of the family. I love you. God loves you. There's still hope. And yes, you've made a mistake, but you're still important to this family. You're still important to me as a dad. And I love you. And I'm telling you, dads, it'll go a long way to helping you to be a balanced dad as you raise your children to the point that they're ready. They're ready to go out and be a mature follower of Christ, bearing his image. And then what we'll see then is as we do this in this generation and we sprinkle it with the right kind of encouragement, we're going to be raising children that, that raise their children in the same way they were raised. And then we're starting to perpetuate balanced parenting. And we'll see another generation eventually that raises theirs and they have the right correction and they have the right training and they have the right encouragement and they've got the right balance in their house. And then the next generation and the next generation. These are how things perpetuate. But it's got to start with dads at home being balanced dads and embracing the dad triangle. I hope that you'll be willing to do that tonight. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed as we begin our invitation here. This is, these were very convicting thoughts to me this week I, as I thought about what to preach for Father's Day. This was the message I was thought about preaching this morning. And I was just very convicted because of all the times that I've been imbalanced with my children. 
And, and what I keep coming back to is I can do all these things as much as I can, as much as I want, but I need God's help. I mean, my children, they matter the world to me. They mean the world to me. Um, but if I try to do this on my own, I'm telling you, I'm going to fail. And I need God's help in the process. If I'm going to be a balanced dad, I need to be a dependable or a dependent dad. I need to be dependent on God. Because if I'm left to myself, just like my children, I mean, I'm going to go the wrong direction in my, in my, in my parenting. So let's, let's just seek the Lord tonight. If God's spoken to you tonight about being a balanced parent, listen, this applies to moms too. Focus has been on dads tonight because it's Father's Day, but moms, are you imbalanced? Correction and training are there, but encouragement's not, or one or the other. Let's just ask the Lord to help us tonight. Father, we thank you for... Uh, this truth, and I thank you for the way that it's been convicting to me, Lord. You know the work that this thought did on me this week and my feelings of inadequacy as a dad and, and how I'm, I, I ask you to help me overcome the times that I've failed with my children. And Lord, I really do want to, want to raise them in a way that pleases you, and yet I've made enough mistakes that I yeah, I know that, that if, they, if they don't respond correctly, uh, part of that could probably come back to the way that I've been at times with them. And God, we, so we all need your grace. And Lord, there's, no, there's really no perfect parent. There's no perfect way. Lord, we can try to follow your path here. But there will be times where we fail you. But God, I pray that you would help that to be the exception. And that you'd give grace to our children as well to know that mom and dad aren't always perfect, but I know they're consistent. They try. And I'm thankful, Lord, for the way that you make up for where we lack. God, help us to be responsive. I I know this may be more preventative, uh, but I know in myself, Lord, a message like this, there are plenty of things for me to respond to. I pray that you'd help us each to be self-reflective tonight and to maybe ask forgiveness in the areas where we failed and then ask for grace in the areas we need to shore up. Father, we pray that you have your will and way. Strengthen us, work in this in the sermon, the truth tonight, and help us to be better as we raise our children until they're ready. God, we love you, and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.